I am mining investor and editor of Resource Stock Digest. Head out of the Del Real here with my partner, Mr. Nick Hodge, who's also an investor and the publisher of Daily Profit Cycle. This is the 255th episode of our weekly therapy session that we like to call Investing in Bizarro World. We're going to talk markets. We'll talk Fed Chair Jerome Powell. We'll talk gold. We'll talk rates. We'll talk about what we're looking at, what we think should be turning soon, what we think is going to stay stuck in the mud. As always, Mr. Hodge, first and foremost, how goes you today, sir? Got through January, Gerardo, uh, ready for this leap February, and I'm doing great. Um, kids are healthy, like you say. Uh, wife still loves me, so not too much to complain about. And we'll talk about the markets, which have been frustrating, but is what it is. Hey, How are you? the kids being healthy and the wife still loving me any day of the week over great markets. Now, with that being said, I do think we have better markets coming. I am great, by the way. Thank you for asking. Um, I do think we have better markets coming. I just think it's not time yet. We talked a bit off air um, about that specific to the resource space and the smaller cap stocks. Jerome Powell, Fed Chair uh, Jerome Powell spoke and the market didn't like it. He basically told them what you've been telling them that he was going to tell them, which is, hey, look, I am going to break a couple of more banks down and make you beg for it so that when I do it, you're thanking me instead of calling me soft. So I will say this for Jerome. The same... <laughs> He's managing the crisis that he created and that his institution created very, very well. I feel odd and a bit dirty, like I should go shower complimenting him on his handling of a crisis that essentially gutted the middle class. If we look at what the Fed has done in this country specifically, and, and then look, we've exported inflation and the transfer of wealth around the world. This is a global thing, but let's just talk specific to the U.S. for now. If you look at the transfer of wealth and how responsible the Fed is for taking the bulk of the money from the lower and middle classes and putting it in the classes that, you know, luckily for us, we're finally, you and I finally are, you know, we get to dabble in the sandbox a little bit, but I don't feel any kind of um, great about being on this side of it, knowing that it's come at the expense of the middle class and the lower class, right? Upward mobility in this country is 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 really hard to come by. We talked last week about how 60% of children under the age of uh, adult children are, are now receiving financial help from their parents. And that is a direct result of Fed policy, among other things, right? Which again, just took money out of those classes and then put it into those that had exposure to financial assets. So when I see Jerome Powell, I have a press conference where essentially he's saying, not enough things have broken. Um, I need a couple of more banks basically to go away. I need a couple of more 30% down days on community banks. I need you to beg me for it and then I'll fix it. And then you'll thank me. I don't feel the cleanest thing, uh, complimenting him on how he's handled it, but he has handled this part of it. Well, I would just like to remind everybody he has caused this <laughs> and so has his institution. Oh, there's a ton there. So, I mean, middle class has been gutted for a long time, not just because of Jerome Powell, but because of uh, the Federal Reserve or many chairmen's and, and chair chair women woman that came before him, right? So, um, you know, Fed policy is one of those things that eats away at the middle class just because monetary policy is has sort of been to eat away at the middle class, especially in these past 
call it, you know, since 2008, the zero interest rate policy, where, as you said, if you were able to own assets, pretty much no matter what they were, um, homes, houses, real estate, crypto, NFTs, paintings, comic books, it really didn't matter what it was, right? Um, those asset prices were going up because interest rates were so low. Um, and now that whole thing is sort of getting inverted, which is uh, why lots of people are so confused. And it is tough to see the um, individual trees day to day sometimes. But but like you say, it's, it's a bit easier, at least for me, to step back and take a look at the forest. So um, uh, Jerome lies, the Federal Reserve lies, obviously. Remember, he was soft as shit in December. It's kumbaya, you know. Um, we're going to get three rate cuts next year. It's, it's, it's dovishness, it's Goldilocks. And then, and I was saying, wait, what? Like inflation's still at three and a half percent. Like, how's that going to happen? And so here he turns tail and says, you know, exactly what he had to say is that, hold on, let me turn my little fan down here. Um, you know, we can't cut yet because of exactly what I said, the economy is still too strong and inflation is still running too hot. So, um, of course that's what he was going to say. Uh, what else? Um, <clears throat> you know, the economy is not the stock market. We say that a lot. I, I was writing about that last week. You know, I was writing about those caves in California where they found, you know, uh, dozens of people living in, in caves along the river and they had 7,500 pounds of trash down there. and They were furnished. I mean, all is not well. That was the same week that GDP came out at a at a robust 3.3%, right, Gerardo? So, you know, uh, there's things out there that, that aren't right in the overall system and, and in the overall economy. And yet, um, as we've been saying week to week, uh, we're celebrating new uh, all-time record highs. Now, um, those all-time record highs were because of that dovishness in December, because of the Goldilocks, because we were expecting the rate hikes or rate cuts, excuse me. Um, coming into this month, there was like a 100% chance of a rate cut in March. And, and as I was telling you last week, that's been cut in half um, and now put into um, words by uh, Jerome. So, yeah, um, it, it is what it is. And then you look at the employment side of things, and then that continues to be what it was as well. It's late stage economic cycle. The tech layoffs are coming. The bank layoffs are coming. Um, ADP payrolls were were soft this week. I think, yeah. you know, I forget the number, 113 or 115,000, and it was over like 150,000 expected or something. So, um, you know, it, it continues to play out. So, you know, if you do get more cuts this year, remember it's because like the the landing is much harder than they expected it to be. And so um, I, I continue with, with my mantra of cash on the sidelines, money in short-term durations that are still yielding over 5%, 6% in some cases on the municipal side of things. And um, I, I agree with you that the second half is going to be pretty exciting for commodities as well. Well, let's talk about um, one asset class, uh, one commodity that that held up really well despite you know a two percent tumble on the major indices and a dollar that strengthened, right? And that was gold, essentially flat. You know, initially when the decision came down to keep rates steady, gold jumped. You know, not not fourteen, fifteen dollars. That was a U turn, but it didn't break the level at which it opened today, and that to me was really encouraging because. It's firmly above the 2000 level, still right at $2,035 an ounce, which again, gold miners, if you can't turn a profit on $2,000 gold, maybe you're not running your business the way that you should be running your business, right? We look at the lithium spot price and you know everybody complains about the weakness there. And we talked about this last week. You look at a company like Pilbara, which still has 50% margins, really robust margins despite that. And moving forward with the expansion of multiple projects. And oh, by the way, you know, has a couple of billion dollars in its treasury. 
to go take advantage of this weak market. And then if I'm a Pilbara, you bet your ass off I'm having a conversation with a, a company like Patriot that has a deposit type I understand, with mineralogy I understand, with metallurgy that I understand, and that looks like at least, you know, eventually tonnage wise, eventual tonnage wise, looks like it could be something similar, you know, or 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 greater than even, you know, green bushes. So um it it, it me as a Patriot shareholder, I would love to see a Pilbara come in and take a five or a ten percent stake at, you know, opportunistic prices, maybe on a flow-through basis, you know, so they can get creative. But I would love any of the other majors to come in and and endorse the quality of the project, especially during, you know, what's a weak time in the lithium spot price. I tied all the, I, I say all that to say, and let me tie it all in. If gold miners can run a business on $2,000 gold, you shouldn't be in the gold business. Like you, the asset's just not going to work. The price sensitivity is telling the consumer that it's not going to work. So at $2,200 gold, at $2,400 gold, at $2,500 gold, the leverage obviously is exponential. But again, for the time being, gold stocks are not gold. The gold is not gold stocks, just like the economy is not the stock market. And you're going to have to be very selective, folks, because I think we have another quarter or so, quarter and a half of softness in the equity space as it relates to the resource stocks. And that goes you know, from miners all the way down uh, to the explore codes, unless you have a really exciting discovery. And even then, it's tough going now. Again, back to the lithium space. You look at a Patriot, um, has everything going for it. And yeah, it, it looks like it's putting a bottom in, but it's certainly not breaking out yet. Yes. What do I want to say? Um, the gold stocks have been tough, um, even the quality ones. So because the earnings just haven't been there. And I suppose that's a function of the ongoing inflation and the higher costs. But, you know, at a certain point, the the two thousand dollar gold, the twenty, the two thousand and fifty dollar gold is going to trickle down to the bottom line, and so it continues to be a good time to um, isolate and identify those companies that are leveraged to the price of gold, whether they're producers or developers, um, or are onto a, a discovery or have some you know resource stage um, type project. So um, at the same time, there's also sort of like a floor, right? They're not outperforming, but like they don't want to go down either because. Yeah. Um, I have a the sellers of, are tired. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Like I have bids set very close, right? Just a couple of pennies underneath, you know, where some gold stocks have been trading that I want to buy into and they just quite won't get there. So, um, yeah, I think we do have one more uh, flush out on the, on the equity side of things to allow you to get positioned in those names that you want and, and have been doing so, frankly, in the letters and, um, in my, in my personal portfolio, um, gold specifically remains bullish. So, um, I'm finding that I have to keep saying the things over and over, and and that's fine. Um, I just have to keep saying them over and over. Um, yeah, kids, <laughs> you know what it's like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So um, the two-year trades on Fed expectations and then the 10-year trades on sort of economic expectations. And even before Jerome said whatever he said um, this week or last week, the, the sort of two-year was staying higher because it knew that he wasn't going to be able to cut. And meanwhile, the 10-year has been softening because um, it trades on economic reality, right? It's pricing and softness that sort of lots of people see, but that hasn't been reflected in the all-time high stock markets. And so a couple of things happens there. Two years stays up, the 10-year comes down, you get that inversion of the yield curve, which by the way, is still inverted. Um, it, it has an uninverted. And then the other thing you get is, uh, is a tailwind for gold, right? Because if that 10-year yield comes down, 
um, that's better for gold, which which doesn't yield anything, of course. And, and so gold can stay strong or, or even go up with a, with a strong dollar if that 10-year bond yield is coming down. And so um, gold looks healthy. It remains um, sort of one of the safe, safer places you can put your money right now, especially on pullbacks and especially if you understand you know, the inverse relationship there between uh, bond yields, et cetera. So, um, or as I, I like don't know. to call it, the world's most hated and unpleasant 69. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, careful. We have to spit some things out sometimes. <laughs> oh, God. Um, another asset class, and I do consider it an asset class that has held up well, Bitcoin, back at the 43,000 level, right? It had a... Uh, a sell the news type of moment here in the last couple of weeks where it dipped back down below the 40,000 level briefly. And look, it did a U-turn beautifully right to the 43,000 level. I know that you and our in-house expert, Mr. Chris Pearl, um, got together here recently. Thoughts on Bitcoin or thoughts from Mr. Curl on Bitcoin? Uh, Bitcoin is uh, also long-term bullish trend. So I think trades more on liquidity than maybe the, the bond yields or the, or the dollar. And so I think Bitcoin gets more excited about stimulus. And it's interesting because it's a global asset. So um, yes, it was a sell the news moment with all the ETFs. But I still think that uh, that's a long-term positive for the sector right now. Uh, your aunt and uncle and your grandpa can buy a, a Bitcoin ETF and then put it in their IRA or um, 401k and uh, pay diminished or no taxes on it at all if it's a Roth IRA. That's an overall very net positive, I think, for um, Bitcoin in general, right? Think about the, the ascent of passive investing over the past 10 or 15 years where every two weeks somebody's just putting a portion of their uh, paycheck into the S&P or whatever. One of the reasons that you know the S&P is you know, able to reach you know, all-time highs is that the ascent of passive investing to some extent, that's going to happen in Bitcoin now, right? People are going to be investing in these Bitcoin ETFs, set it and forget it. And it's going to create some sort of perpetual buying for a finite asset, right? Remember, only 21 Bitcoin ever going to, 21 million Bitcoin ever going to be mined. So um, there's that aspect of it. And then there's the sort of the stimulus and softening aspect of it, right? Right. So um, China's already talking about new stimulus. You had the Evergrande stuff back in the news recently. Um, you know, economic and, and, and consumer softness in China, also attributing to this, you know, sell off in the S&P, by the way, for a little bit of a sidebar is like um, Apple is one of the big seven and a big percentage of their sales, the iPhone sales come from China, which has been soft. So all those companies are reporting earnings like this week and next week. So that's one of the reasons you're seeing sell offs and um, uh, volatility. But anyway, um, if China comes with some sort, sort of stimulus package, that's good for Bitcoin. And then again, uh, I think you get recession in the U.S. and you will get easing, just not yet. And that's going to be good for Bitcoin. And uh, then you got the having here in a couple of months. So, um, again, I've always been long term bullish on Bitcoin and, and continue to be. Um, and I guess I'll take that same way to, to, to talk about a new tech product. Right. Um, so we've had crypto cycle, which has been around for a couple of years now. I think it actually just had its second birthday. That portfolio is in a positive. Uh, Chris Curls managed that 50K. But that's buying um, cryptos directly, NFTs directly on um, various exchanges, Coinbase and uh, KuCoin and Kraken at one point. So um, a little bit more advanced, a little bit more high risk and, and messing with all sorts of different coins and projects. And some of the feedback we got was just that, like it's a little bit too complex. And so... Um, that coupled with the fact that you know, tech stocks continue to be strong, that 
you know, AI is a real thing that um, people are super interested in the Microsofts and the NVIDIAs and the Teslas of the world. Um, we decided to launch a, a monthly tech letter to help people uh, get introduced to the, the world of crypto and Bitcoin and to cover the, the sort of tech market that you and I don't cover. So um, that product is called Digital Dispatch. It'll be run by John Carl and Chris Curl, who does run the, the crypto product, as you mentioned. And we'll have that out here in February. So all the things are happening behind the scenes. Um, the initial issues and reports are being written, et cetera. And we'll self-launch that to, to people who have paid to you know get access to all of our products. Um, the reason I bring that up is because a component of that service will be sort of that intro or beginner level entry into the Bitcoin market. And the timing is um, uh, fortuitous, I guess, because you know it comes on the back of the approval of these Bitcoin ETFs. So um, not only is it easier to buy the space that way, but there's um, ETFs for other aspects of the crypto market as well. So, you know, you can buy these um, ETFs that own crypto miners, ETFs that own semiconductors and and, and CPU and GPU, GPU units, etc. Um, so that's what that pub is going to sort of be about. Um, we look forward to getting it out there and, and we'll have to get one of those editors on this podcast in the next couple of weeks to, to talk more about it. But um, that's it. I mean, the, the simple fact remains that, that those stocks are obviously driving a, a large portion of the gains in the market. One of the reasons the S&P continues to hit all-time highs, people are obviously interested in it, including editors that we have um, on staff here, and it's not our area of expertise. So uh, we look forward to bringing that to you. You know what else I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to hydrogen storage as a viable, viable um, investment and, and, and speculative opportunity, especially in the second half of this year. This was something that got a lot of attention from Newfoundland last year in the second half. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of quieted down while the government assesses its permitting process. It's awarded um, the right to bid on, you know, large, large tracts of lands for these hydrogen storage and wind energy projects. And now it's at the point where it's, it's, it's about to aside who actually gets to do the building and how they're going to establish a permitting process moving forward. And, you know, I think the reason that it's stalled out a bit is they're talking about an overall impact over the next 35 or 40 years of roughly $206 billion and revenue to the province of $11.7 billion. So look, am I uh, frustrated as someone that speculated in the space early last year through a, a company that, that that you also wrote a check for um, on the premise that the second half of last year would see those decisions start being made by the government? Absolutely. Governments lie. In this case, I'll, I'll actually give them the benefit of the doubt. I believe they're taking the time and, 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 and I actually applaud them uh, for taking the time for the right reasons and doing it the right way because the last thing you want, ask Mexico, is to issue permits and to issue rights and to get funding decisions by these companies and then having to take some of that back. It really messes with the order of things. So if they're taking their time because they're doing it right and you know the, 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 the investment is still coming in, there were more than enough uh, bidders for, for, for these awards. Uh, and so I, I think the second half is going to be really, really good to the companies in that space. And then you and I, of course, are are biased to one in particular because we we own quite a few shares of it. But um, any thoughts there? 
I think that hydrogen is a pretty good contrarian opportunity because it got a lot of hype in sort of the late 20 teens uh, heading into 2020 um, in terms of like fuel cells. And some of those stocks got way ahead of themselves, like the Ballard Powers, um, the Plug Powers and the Bloom Energies of the world. And if you pull up some of those charts, you'll see that um, they've since sold off in a big way. They've been a favorite short target, in fact. Um, over the past, I'd say, you know, one to two years, Plug um, in particular has been um, a, a printer of shares and, and and diluting their base. I think they just did a billion dollar raise, Gerardo. I think they printed a billion dollars worth of paper, like at cheap prices. But anyway, um, <laughs> so this is bigger than like, and, and so what happened was, is there was a lot of promotion. There was a lot of fervor. Again, we were talking about zero interest rates and how everything went up. Well, uh, hydrogen stocks went up too. And, and basically hydrogen stocks were like in quotes because they were like forklifts, right? Well, um, you can't like sustain a, an entire global industry and, and those type of uh, retail stock price gains on forklifts. And so it's been a couple of years and that industry is starting to mature, not unlike uranium, right? It took a while for the governments um, and the market to figure out that nuclear was going to have to be an integral part of um, the decarbonization solution, right? And so uh, same with hydrogen. Um, I think it was dismissed for a while, but now you're starting to see it find its place. And, and it's been what it always was again, like there never was going to be one thing that was the best, right? Like my kids have this book about this, this girl who thinks pizza is the best. And, you know, she goes and tries kimchi, kimchi with the Koreans down the hall. And then she goes and tries tagine with uh, the Africans who live in the apartment across the street. And it's like, there's not one best food, right? Like, right. That's like when you're craving, which, well, there's not one best solution to clean energy or decarbonization either. Like there's a place for solar, there's a place for wind, there's a place for hydrogen. And, and that's starting to be figured out now. And then. Um, the exciting part, at least for me, is, is the storage aspect, which you were talking about. Um, and in that in that respect, it's not unlike oil or even helium, because um, a lot of people don't know that the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, for example, is stored in salt caverns along the, the Gulf Coast in Mississippi and um, Louisiana. And, and, you know, helium reserves are captured in, in similar dome structures in the, in the West. Um, you know, New Mexico, et cetera. So you're going to need places to store this hydrogen and, 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 and that lends itself to the resource market and salt domes. So uh, more on that as it develops, but this certainly isn't fuel cells and, and forklifts. This is um, shipping. This is getting smart about clean energy, using windmills to generate the uh, power that, you know, condenses and then stores the hydrogen, et cetera. So um, all in good time and, and you just, takes the market and, and governments and, and capital time sometimes to, you know, figure out what solutions are best and, and get everything approved. Just, you know, look at how long it takes to approve a mine or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, look, I, I look across the, the commodity sector and again, I know uh, the sentiment the past, you know, 12 months or so has not been the best, but everything I see, Nick, looks like a coiled spring to me. Copper's flirting with $4. Again, Mr. Friedland was out this week. Very busy on Twitter, pounding the table again about the looming copper deficits and how they're, you know, much like like lithium, when, when we get the lithium upturn going again, which it will, um, you know, it, it, it's going to be it's going to be coast is clear for for years, not months, because supply that's supposed to be coming online isn't coming online and demand, contrary to what you hear in the mainstream media most of the time or with spook speculators and investors demand continues to grow, right? And so I, I look at 
hydrogen and I look at lithium and I look at gold and I look at copper and uranium and I am just forget I'm, I'm, I'm giddy because we're positioned well. And and look, that doesn't mean it's fun to look at the portfolio and oh, man, here we go. We're down another 5% because that's how it goes when you're early, right? That's just the nature of the beast. You can either be early or you can chase the trend. And if you chase the trend, you're probably going to miss the first 50% move in the equities. So I'd always rather be early. I'd rather be a little patient. I'd rather see, you know, be in the red for for a few months and, and a few quarters if that's what it takes. Uh, the upturn has always been worth it for me. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'm excited for the space. Just again, I caution everybody, just be patient. Have another quarter or so of patience. Markets are forward looking. So if it's a second half of the, of the year story, you could probably expect midway through the second quarter things to really start perking up in the space. So get positioned, take advantage of the weakness. The waiting is the hardest part, Jordan. The waiting is the hardest part. Um, you know, it's also hard. I started with my rant about uh, Jerome and the Fed as an institution and, you know, how responsible it is for, you know, a lot of the the, the transfer of wealth from, you know, the, the the lower and the middle class to the wealthy. And I, I, w- I was reading and I should have known this, but I did it. And last, last week I talked about fun facts, right? So here's another fun fact. The NYPD has created two full-time posts in Bogota, Colombia and Tucson, expanding its list of foreign outposts to 16. And I understand the logic behind having law enforcement presence in foreign outposts, right? Because of the threat that terrorism presents around the world. So I get you would want boots on the ground. I just thought that we had agencies for that. (laughs) <laughs> and I didn't and I didn't think that taxpayers had to fund this shit. And I don't know who's been to Columbia or not, but I look, if I, if I if I didn't have a wife and I didn't have kids and I didn't mind traveling, you bet your ass off that's one of the first places that I'm asking to be stationed in because I can imagine that the boots on the ground walk around with smiles on their faces because of how beautiful that country and its people are. And so I am not a fan of taxpayers funding this stuff, Nick. I'm not a fan of, you know, foreign intervention. Um, and Mr. Biden now is, is is you know, committing troops on the ground. It's always limited at first, right? It's always going to be just a couple. And it's always going to be targeted, you know. And then you have an Iraq 20-year war, which, again, isn't even the country that had anything to do with uh, 9-11. But that's a whole other story or very little to do with it anyhow. So any thoughts on foreign outposts funded by American taxpayers? Um, I don't know anything about this. You know, we record this podcast ad hominem or, you know, off the cuff. So, um, or ad Fancy for we make all this shit up as soon as we see. Right. Oh, it's not, this isn't scripted. We don't have some major studio. We don't read all the teleprompter. We literally get here and go, what are we talking about today? And then we talk about it. So that's the science that goes into it. So this story, I don't, I don't know about in particular, but I had some of the same thoughts as you. It sounds like a paramilitary operation that isn't suited for an individual city. I don't know what the goals are. I assume it's under the guise of probably not just policing, but, um, you know, uh, human relations or, you know, media relations or community relations, et cetera. So, but nonetheless, uh, I don't understand it. Um, and so I had a couple of thoughts while you were talking, because this morning I was scrolling my phone and I read that we're going to have uh, an extended 
campaign in response to this, you know, the, the Houthi Iran backed mm-hmm. missile attacks that's going to last several weeks. And I, I think the headline had like campaign and several weeks in quotes. And I, I think I was eating breakfast and I looked up at my wife and I said, we're going to have an extended campaign that lasts several weeks. We used to call that a war that we needed congressional approval for. <laughs> and so, you know, it, this is that uh, institution bloat. This is that um, you know, a taxpayer funding bloat that that creep on the spending that nobody can keep track of or really know what the um, institutions do. This is the duplicitous nature of bureaucracy, where you end up having multiple agencies doing multiple things, and, and no one knows who's doing what. Um, and that's uh, has to do with um, just the the largesse and the 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 maturation of institutions over the past couple of years. And I have to assume some of that will be rolled back in the um, next decade. But the other thing I was thinking about um, was immigration, because that's been a big thing in the past week. And I would like your take specifically, because it's obviously close to home for you uh, being Mexican American and, and, and a little bit uh, it's close to me, but not as close to you being the, the son of a, an Italian immigrant. So that's been a big deal in the past week, right? With, um, speaking of agencies, you know, National Guards being rattled and, and you're in Texas. So uh, Greg Abbott, you know, uh, grandstanding. Hell on, uh, hell on wheels, as I like to call them. Exactly. So, I mean, what do you think about the flow? It's become a big, a pretty big story between that and, um, you know, the government putting together Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. There's a there's a there's a whole lot to, to be preoccupied with out there. I'll share my thoughts on immigration because it is very near and dear to my heart, right? My parents came to this country when my mom was five months pregnant with me. Uh, They eventually became citizens of this country. And, you know, I'm a citizen of this country. I was born here in the U.S. But I say all that to say that it's really easy to turn on a television and show clips of thousands of people crossing the border illegally, right? And let's keep in mind that the majority of these people are crossing the border for that upward mobility that is becoming less and less in America, as I mentioned up top. So I can't fault anyone that's searching for a better life, especially if the only crime they're looking to commit is crossing the border illegally. If they intend to work hard, if they intend to be law-abiding citizens, the way that my parents did for nine years before they were eligible for their citizenship and their residency in this country. And and I've I've shared this in this podcast before. The only reason that was possible is because in in 1987, and you guys know I'm not partisan. I I dislike both parties, most people from both parties. But in 1987, Ronald Reagan, despite all the fuckery that he participated in with, you know, the contraband, cocaine selling, paramilitaries and all the other scandals. So the one thing that I really commend him for that we just couldn't do in this day and age is he came up with a comprehensive immigration plan. The country was going through a recession. Real estate prices were bottoming. We needed cheap labor, but we needed a system by which we could screen people and allow for a legal mechanism to provide people the opportunity to chase the American dream and provide for their family. When you have the type of partisanship that we have right now in America, and you essentially make it to where there is zero legal recourse for anyone that legally wants to come to this country. I have cousins that waited 13, 14 years to come to this country legally. When there is zero legal recourse and no structure in place, no real structure in place 
for people to do so legally, I can't blame a mother or father for not just sitting there and letting their kids and themselves starve. And so, again, I am all for comprehensive immigration policy. I am all for securing the borders. I, you know, Tupac's got this great interview. He was like a 20-year-old kid and he's talking about living in the projects and immigration is like that to me. And what he said about living in the projects and growing up in low-income neighborhoods, he said, I want a safe community too. I don't want to live next to the rapist. I don't want to live next to the killer. But you guys aren't coming in and cleaning it up. And so when I look at problems and the way they're framed in the mainstream media and on Twitter and by the people on the right and the people on the left, I hate that we never talk about the institutions that facilitate the problems that are occurring because this is a a, a, a symptom and a result and consequence of the negligence of both major political parties which have campaigned on immigration reform, the right campaigns on securing the borders. They never do. The left campaigns on you know, we're going to go ahead and pass comprehensive immigration. So people that are, you know, not criminals, don't have a checkered background, we can verify, we're going to allow you a legal pathway to participate in the American dream. They never do it. Obama campaigned on this both terms, said he was going to get done within the first 90 days. And he pivoted to healthcare the first time and the second time he said, fuck it, I'm not running for president again anyway, I can't. So I just won't do it anymore. That's how I took it. Right. And so long rant, you asked, um, short answer, we need comprehensive immigration reform that, yes, it combines smart, smart securing the borders. You know, laws aren't going to do it. It's just not. It's not. Now, now, we can have high traffic area walls combined with surveillance, combined with, you know, law enforcement cooperation. But when you're putting barbed wire on rivers where, you know, babies are crossing, you're just as much a murderer as the people that go into government buildings and blow that up. Because you know what the end result's going to be. It's going to be dead people. And you're not doing anything in government to provide legal recourse for these people to participate in the American dream in an honest way. So to me, you know, a lot of politicians on all sides have blood on their hands on that thing. And it breaks my heart. I Again, this is an issue that is very near and dear to my heart. And it's not because I think borders should be open. It's not because I think everybody should be allowed in this country. But I absolutely believe there should be a process for allowing people that can be, you know, contributors to our society and in, in, in a positive way to participate in the American dream. That's the pillar of how this country was founded in case anyone forgot. Good rant. Um, I have similar sentiments. I think that it's very complex and yet I think there are some simple solutions. And at the same time, I don't think at the same time, I don't think those solutions will be implemented until, um, you know, it reaches some, you know, crisis level, right? That's typically how our nation operates. We wait till things get so bad that, you know, band-aids and stuff don't work anymore. Um, same, my parent, my, my mom came in the sixties under the Kennedy administration. So, um, you know, different political party, but it doesn't matter. Right. It's the same, a call for skilled labor. And, um, my grandfather came to, to sew suits essentially. Uh, and then my mom and grandmother came a couple of years later. So, uh, I would say that two things can be true at the same time. I would say that you need to overhaul the immigration system and allow an easier path to legal immigration and you have to close the borders. I don't think those two things are like mutually exclusive and um, the partisan political nature of our country right now makes those two things such that you can't like agree with them both. And that's bullshit. 
Um, so both those things can be true. I also think that there's a, a tax dollar implication. So going back to New York City, that's what got me thinking about this. I was reading that they said this week it's going to cost them, and I don't know the time, so Google it, $3.5 billion to, to house migrant families. It's something like um, $400 per family per night, per night. And so I get why people have animosity about that, you know, and at the same time, I get that there's always money for wars and bombs and, and never money for, for shelters and families. Right. But uh, I can see why people, you know, worry about or, or, or voice their opinion about the tax dollars and, and the cost. And then the last thing I was going to say is I was going to relate it to student loans, right? Because um, it's, it's, it's obviously a little bit more complex, but you know, there's some people who never use the student loan system, right? There's some people who never use the immigration system. Like there's some people who need the the student loan system to, to go to college. There's some people who need the immigration system for that upward mobility. And yet um, there's some people who use the system correctly and pay back their loans. And then now they're seeing other people not having to follow the same procedures, right? Not having to to, to, to do the same things to get that to use that system as they did. You understand where I'm going with that? And so I can see why there's animosity and and why it's a big issue. And yet I think that, you know, again, simple solutions, but probably not till there's a crisis. And, you know, I was also voicing to you, like, what is that spark, right? Like, what is that crisis? And when I start seeing headlines about the mobilization of national guards, I'm like, Oh shit. Like that could be one, right? Listen, whether it's, um, what was the uh, extended operation? What was the phrase that they used for the new war that we're uh, instigating? Oh, a, a can- it was like an, a campaign, an extended campaign. Extended yeah. campaign, right. So the thing with war and the thing with um, fourth turnings is you never know what it's going to be. Right. But, 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 but when it is, when it happens, you know, like we talk about when moon, right? Um, when war or, or when crisis, when it happens, it's not a small thing, folks. And it's just really, really, really perilous times, I think, just across the board. And, and, and you know, lines up perfectly with where we're at in this fourth turning, having another, you know, eight to 10 years of, of this volatility that I think will continue to increase. So, yeah, no, no, no. In, interesting times, definitely times to, to, to be vigilant, demand more of our community leaders and our elected officials. Um, on all scales and not likely that we get it anytime soon because this class of politicians is brain dead, but we should at least demand it. And hopefully somebody light bulb goes off and decides they have a better way. And, uh, you know, we can, we can, we can support that. They're brain dead figuratively. And I think some of them are brain dead. Literally. <laughs> I meant it. Literally. Mitch McConnell. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like, tell me again. So, everybody, if you love listening to our ranting and ravings on immigration and war and fourth turning, along with some of our market commentary, I encourage you to go to dailyprophetcycle.com forward slash subscribe to get all of our updates on market commentary, thoughts on any number of things, not just for Mr. Hodge and myself, but our talented group of editors. It's also a great way to look and take a peek behind the curtain at some of our other publications, our paid publications, if you want more specific advice on everything from technology to crypto to cannabis stocks, med tech, resource stocks, you name it. Mr. Hodge, anything else near and dear to your heart? I want everybody to remember this little extended campaign thing that we're going into because I sense an accident is going to happen 
that's going to cause us to stay there for months. And then I sense that those months are going to turn into years. And then I sense that it, now you have Russia, China has with a proxy war going on already. Now, you know, we throw Iran into the mix. It's getting dicey out there, folks. It's not good. It's not good. Yeah. I mean, typically when the inflation doesn't work uh, and nations get desperate for their, their economies, then, you know, war and conflict is the uh, next course of action. So um, uh, where I, I sense that we're getting there as well. So um, no, next week I'll tell you about the, the Lincolnshire Wildlife Park because that's a moment of levity. So don't let me forget. We'll keep it on the list. And um, don't forget to get your Valentine's gifts is what I was going to say because that's coming up fast. Get that done. We also have a Super Bowl coming up here soon. So, you know, the distractions will continue, folks. But there is some real world stuff going on out there. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with Mr. Nick Hodge. It's been a pleasure bringing you our 255th episode of our weekly therapy session that we like to call Investing in Bizarro World. Some words of wisdom and encouragement, Mr. Hodge. No, that's it. No, we'll see. We'll see you next week. I gave you all my wisdom already. Take care. Stay safe, y'all. Hey there, you independent-minded investor. If you like this video, make sure to tell us so by clicking the like button below. Subscribe to our channel so you never miss another one. And share it with everyone you know on social media. You can also click the link in the description below to check out more information-packed videos just like this one. Thanks for watching.